0: Today we start on a new path and before we embark, I want to lay out before you a map of where we're going because I'm convinced that when you know at the start your destination, it increases the likelihood that you get there and I want us to get there together. Our goal is to grow as followers of Jesus. Every person can grow in that way. Some of us Don't want to follow him, but we're here nonetheless. You yourself can potentially grow as a follower. I believe it would be the best thing for you. Others of us have been following him for a long time. We still need to grow. And so our goal together is to grow as followers of Jesus. Jesus taught that the first commandment was to love God and to love your neighbor. And so the way we'll grow is when we grow to love. And so that's our goal, really, to grow as people who love God and the people around us better, what's our path? How will we get there? Our path toward this goal is going to be learning to put our hearts in Jesus' hands. Now for some of you, that image is familiar. You're, you've thought of yourself as a person who has the power to do what you want with your heart and you've given it to him. For others, it might be strange to imagine that exchange. but I'll tell you this, wherever you are with respect to Jesus, you have given your heart to something. Do you know that? All of us have. And the the truth, this is the center of what Christians believe, is that Jesus is Lord. And that means that there's no place better to put our hearts than into his hands. And, of course, that means you're still engaged in the world. The truth is the person who gives her heart, his heart to Jesus, will be the kind of person who thrives in every area of life because of that determination. But that's going to be our path toward the goal of growth in love. It is to focus on our lives inside, our, eternal, our internal lives, and then to figure out how to more fully surrender ourselves to Jesus, how to put our hands into his heart, uh, excuse me, our heart into his hands, learning in this way how to grow as disciples as we grow Uh, in relationship to our feelings. Why would we do this? Our motivation for getting on this path is the desire to become more of who we were meant to be. This also is a conviction of Christians that you only identify yourself truly when you see yourself in Christ's hands, only there in the hands of your creator are you finally going to become the person that you are meant to be. And so our motivation to grow in love by giving our hearts to Jesus is to become who we've been made to be. When our feelings are mismanaged, here's the heart of it, our capacity to receive and give love is diminished. Have any of you had the experience in the last 24 hours of losing control of your feelings? Yes or no? And when that happens, it's hard to give love, isn't it? And it's hard to receive love also. And not only from the people around you who, are, who you're losing it on, but from God and from yourself even. You grow separate when you mismanage your hearts. And so we want to be in communion with God because that's what we were made for. And as we move away from our true selves and managing our own hearts, we get further from him. And so we want to learn to put our Hearts in Jesus' hands so we are with God as we were meant to be. There are some things that are going to help us on this path to achieve this forward movement. Worship all together like this on Sundays is going to help us. And I'm telling you that I and Dave and the others are thinking about how to create uh, these experiences with that goal in mind. That's one thing that'll help. Come here each week, get here earlier next week so you get a seat. Secondly, gathering around God's word to listen and learn to hear those words like those ones that were read from Colossians and to listen. Thirdly is prayer and having help learning how to pray. I'm gonna tell you this. I'm really excited about this. I took time to write a prayer for each one of the emotions that we're gonna look at next, in the next two months. And we're gonna give you a card that you can take with you if you're a person who struggles with anger to pray or, or fear or shame. Any of you here in that regard? Prayer is gonna help us grow Uh, this is for me right now one of the most critical ones. It is to develop relationships with others in this group where we're able to talk about what we're experiencing and how God is growing us. This is why we think the discussion groups are so important. Each one of these is going to help us grow. If you are willing to put yourself on the path of growth in love, here's a promise I will give you. God will help you make progress. There's a very quiet deeply rumbling amen, but it's not emerged yet. It's a wonderful truth. I can't, I wish I could help you more than I actually can, but I know the one who can help you perfectly. And his promise is, if you will put your heart into his hands and work at growing, he will help you make progress in love. And that is such a magnificent fact. The one who created you, the one who holds the world in his hands, is waiting for you to begin a journey and he is going to give himself to help you. What will that look like? It will mean that you become more thoughtful than you have been in the past in response to the feelings that you have. It means that you will have a greater openness to the influence of God who will change your heart. It means that you'll have a more profound and total surrender to the love of God in Christ. You will experience his love more deeply than you have. You'll have a greater connection with the people around you, and a healthier heart will mean you have a a better relationship with the one person that a lot of us struggle with the most, and that is yourself. Anyone else in here really good at beating up on himself? Are you ready maybe to leave that behind a little bit? If God helps you grow in love, here's what the the scriptures promise. You ready for this? These are the things that will start to grow in you as love grows. Joy, peace, patience, kindness will grow in you, self-control, the ability to determine which way you end up going rather than letting other things determine it, faithfulness, so you're a person of your word, gentleness and generosity. Isn't that a great list? I didn't write that one, Paul did. It's the promise of God's word to anyone who is learning as we will work at in the months ahead, who's learning to give his heart to Jesus so that in Jesus' hands, he learns how to feel. And this title of this journey that we're on, How Do You Feel?, is not only a question about your personal feelings, but also it's the question of how does one learn to feel as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And that's where we're going. Now, I want you to see what it looks like when Jesus comes to someone who has withheld her heart from him in order to acquire from her her heart to give her what she needs because I want all of us to see ourselves in just this position before Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to use your imagination for a few moments. Imagine a brilliant, bright, crystal clear blue sky and the only thing in it is the sun right overhead. It's midday in the village of Samaria and being as hot as it is, everyone is inside until at least two in the afternoon, because no one can work in this midday heat. All of the adults have taken care of the tasks that the morning demanded. They've retrieved water. They've taken care of the animals. The fields have been uh, tended to, and now everyone's inside. The kids are resting. The adults are sitting back, with one exception. There's a woman who's actually left her dwelling, even though it's noon, to walk out toward the well, to get water. And, and now there's only one reason why anyone would ever leave their home at noon in Samaria to go to the well for water. She doesn't want to be seen. Do some of you know what it's like to change the way you walk through life because you don't want to be seen? Not only does she not want to be seen, she doesn't want to see anyone else. And so that's why she's gone to the well at noon. Only when she gets there, well, it turns out that someone else has already arrived and is sitting there beside the well. Earlier that morning, Jesus and his disciples had been in Judea. They had started their journey to go up to Galilee. And along the way, they had to go through Samaria. And so Jesus' friends decided to go into the city to get lunch at midday. Jesus went off to the well instead. Do you know that Jesus never goes anywhere by mistake? And that he often shows up where he's most needed, even though the person who needs him might not know it yet. Here's an aside. has nothing to do with the story. You need nothing more than you need Jesus. I'm sure of it. And Jesus knows that. And I'm also sure of this, that one of the things that will keep you from him is when your heart is not managed. When the things that you've been feeling hide you from him and other people and yourself. Now, Seeing the woman come to the well at noon, Jesus immediately knows why she's there. And so what does he do? He speaks to her. John 4, 7, here's what Jesus says to this woman who's trying to hide away from everyone. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now this is the kind of thing that you say to someone who you're friends with or if you're not friends with them yet, it's the kind of thing that you say to someone who you want to have a friendship with. It's the kind of thing that starts off a relationship that turns out to be good for both of you. Only the woman is shocked, not only to see him there at the well, but also to have him speaking to her in this way, because Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with one another. This doesn't make any sense, and so she responds to him in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? It's not supposed to happen like this. Men aren't supposed to ask women for anything, especially if they don't know them. And being a Jew and her being a Samaritan means that they've come from people groups who hate each other for centuries. They shouldn't have anything to do with one another. And of course, both of those are good reasons for her not to want to talk to him because he's a strange man and she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. But the truth is, neither one of those two are the real reason that she wants to draw back from Jesus. The real reason is the reason she came to the well at noon instead of the morning like everyone else. It is shame in her heart that has made her hide away from everyone. Five husbands. Five times marriage doesn't work out for her. Anyone who's been through a divorce knows that it leaves wounds, no matter what the circumstances of it are. Can you imagine five times? And now she's with another man, and it's not even her husband. And of course, in the village where she lives, everyone knows everyone's business. Have you ever thought that you live in a place that's just a little too small because of that? you can't even imagine what it was like in ancient Samaria. The judgmental advice that she was given, the looks down the noses at her everywhere she went, the whispers that she could hear just enough of to know that eventually she internalized everyone else's judgment of her into her own heart so she even was sick of herself. And her strategy was hide myself away from everyone, cut myself off, have nothing to do with anyone else at all ever again. But here comes Jesus asking her, for a drink, as if he would want to be a friend of hers. And she doesn't know yet that Jesus knows everything about her. But that's the truth of Jesus in this moment. He was there on purpose because he knows everything about her. And what he wants is, in fact, to break all of the walls around her heart down so he can have her heart in his hands. That's why I came to her. Jesus wants to have your heart in his hands completely. That's the first thing. The first command is that you should love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, that implies that you love God and your neighbor and yourself. And the path to that is the path where you recognize that here has come the Lord to me and what he wants is my heart in his hands. Look at what Jesus says to her. Reply to him in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, Jesus knows that the real thing that's driven her there is not the need for water from the well, but it's rather the need for some kind of living water in this dry and dead heart of hers that she has been so wrapped up and enveloped in shame, not only has she cut herself off from everyone else out there, but she has no relationship with herself truly, and therefore she has no connection with God. And when Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, that's a a carefully chosen phrase. I hope some of you know what the Bible says the gift of God is. Do some of you know that? In Romans 6.23, it says, the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Jesus the Lord. Jesus knows what she needs more than anything else. It's the salvation that he gives. As God's anointed Messiah, there he is. And he knows that all she needs to do to be saved from the the, the massive onslaught of these feelings, all she needs is to open herself to him and let him pour his living water into her soul. How will she do that? When she gives her heart to him. Our goal is to grow as followers of Jesus who are proficient at loving others as we love God and ourselves. The path to that goal is to give our hearts to Jesus. Why so much focus on the heart? Here, I wanna pause on this story and I want to take you to some teaching from the book of Proverbs, which makes it plain why our hearts matter so much. If you have nothing to do with faith, if you don't even believe in God, but you've attended, paid attention to yourself in life, you will know how massively important your heart is to how your life, unfolds, won't you? That even if you try to be a stoic who is only moved by your thoughts, you can't escape the fact that your feelings have an awful lot to do with where you end up. Isn't that how it works? Does anyone here watch Star Trek? Is that still on? I never watched it. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I felt bad. I brought it up in the first service, but I'm doing it again. Is it Spock? Is he the guy who doesn't feel anything? Even that person's heart will guide them. Look at how it's put in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My child, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. The, the, the one who speaks these words and writes them at first is the one who does so relating to the listener as if that listener is a child who needs to learn And grow. Don't be so proud to believe that you don't have any growing to do. Let yourself, even now this morning, relate to this teaching as if you are a child who is ready to grow and learn. Please understand that even as this came from the pen of a man, it was God's word working through that man that comes to us to build us up in the way that we need to be built up. And that's why the teacher says, Be attentive and be attentive in every way that you can. Do you notice that? First, incline your ear, listen with every critical faculty that you've been given. Use your mind here. Listen carefully, he says. Don't let them escape your sight. Investigate what you're going to learn today and in every time you come to church. Look at the world around you and use your eyes to see if it, if it looks so. Put it in your heart. That means commit it to memory. He says that for a reason because this is how important it is. Look at what he says in verse 22. For they, that is my words, are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. You know that you're searching for life. Do you know that? And many of you will say, you still haven't found what you're looking for, right? And wasn't that one of the best songs off that U2 album? Was it Joshua Tree? Yeah. You're looking for life and you are made for life and the word of God is life. And that's what this teacher knows. And it's not, listen now, it's not just life so that When you die, as long as you said you believe the right things, you go to to the good place rather than the bad place. It is, first of all, healing for all flesh. He says it's good for you in every way that you need to have your flesh and your entire life, all of you healed and restored and made well. Here's the word that he wants us to treasure in our hearts. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. This word for us is the word that we are to hear and to see and to treasure in our memory. First, keep your heart with all vigilance. Some translations have it as guard your heart. The author knows that your heart is under assault and needs protection. Can anyone in here in this moment relate to that? Yeah, a night watchman is standing between the ramparts on the city wall and his bow is at his hand and he's looking off into the night because he knows that enemies are always going to come against the city. And what he does is he keeps the city with all vigilance. Or or a shepherd is on a hill and there he has his staff in his hand and there he looks at the beloved herd that's there, the sheep that are all gathered and vulnerable and he's watching to see if there are any predators who are gonna come and he is keeping the flock with all vigilance diligence. Your heart is like a city. It is like a flock of sheep in need of protection, and it requires constant care and oversight in in need of defense against all kinds of serious threats. Only the enemies which most effectively assail your heart are not soldiers, and they're not predatory animals. They are your feelings." They are the things which have the power over you like nothing else does. And when your heart is mismanaged, it can ravage you like an invading army or a pack of devouring wolves. Has anyone got any experience with this? Fear can stop you from being the person that you know you are made to be. And, and, and it can you can be completely powerless in relationship to it, paralyzed. Or anger can swallow you up and turn you in an instant into a monster that scares your kids who you love and your spouse who you love or your friends who you love and even scares you. Shame can cover up the real you so nobody gets you, not even you, isolating the whole world from you. Envy can poison otherwise beautiful relationships between you and friends because you've not got the success that they do. Or all of it can become so bad that apathy seeps in and dries you up like a desert in the summer heat and you don't feel anything anymore. You're alive, but not really. Or grief can come in because you lose the one you loved and it can pull you down into the depths like a swirling waves of the sea and you're lost. It's strong stuff, isn't it? We need to learn how to keep our hearts with all vigilance. And of course, we can learn that. And here we are ready to learn. And the reason we need to learn is in the second clause there. For from it, that is your heart, flow the springs of life. The spring is such a thoughtfully chosen metaphor here. The symbolic force of this image in the ancient Near East is particularly strong. Without the water provided by underground springs, Life is literally impossible. And here the truth is that you have to keep your heart with all diligence because unless the heart is kept with all diligence, real life is absolutely impossible. Again, your heart and what you're feeling and your emotions are as important as anything else in determining the course and the quality of your life. And I'm not just talking about relationships in business. How you feel makes all the difference. How you deal with your feelings makes all the difference. With your friends, the way that you manage your responses can either cause you to thrive in relationship to them and have all of the glory and joy that God meant you to have in friendships or turn it sour and into a source of constant pain and hurt. In your families, in your with your employees or your employers, in work, in the communities that you're involved in, the direction of your heart is as important to your thriving as is a spring in the ancient Near East. Let's zoom in just for a little bit longer on springs to learn about the importance of tending to our hearts. I want to share four qualities of springs now that, that really relate to our hearts. First of all, when your heart is well tended, it is like a spring, and springs are constant. That's the first thing. You have to You have to dwell on this image for a little bit to get this, but there are other kinds of bodies of water that the author could have chosen in this moment. Streams and rivers, for instance. And of course, in the ancient Near East, streams and rivers can flow with a raging force. Have you heard of a wadi? These are the gullies that fill with water and are terrifying in in how much water is there. But you know, just as fast as they fill, they they also empty out. Because whether they have water or not is completely dependent upon rainfall. Not so with a spring. A spring is fed by an underground water source which doesn't change based on circumstances. A spring is constant in whether that is fair. Or foul, And here is the first bit of information for you about your own heart. When it's well-tended, it will be constant in the same way. That is, you will no longer be pulled this way or that in your emotional life based on what's happening all around you. Out of your heart will flow well-being that is not determined by what this person is saying or how work is going. Instead, it will be dispendable, steady, not threatened because it is a dry season. Constant. Doesn't that sound good? Just to a few of you. It should sound better to all of you. Here's the second thing. Just because a spring is constant doesn't mean it's not in constant motion because springs are also dynamic. Unlike a well or a cistern, both of which also hold water, the spring is always on the move. It never settles down. Once it emerges from underground, it flows out into the world around following an unpredictable and fluid path impossibly complex in its movement. Our hearts are are like this too, aren't they? Is your heart complicated and how it can go up and down this way and that? Always in flux, our emotions can be highly unpredictable. New feelings rising and falling all the time, often in a matter that we can't control. And anyone who thought, okay, we're gonna learn about how to grow emotionally, and, and, and if they thought, that means I'm gonna finally get all of my emotions in hand, good luck with that. You'll have as much success as trying to grasp a river in your hands. Can't be done but the dynamism of your heart when it's well tended can actually be a tremendously good thing rather than a detriment. Imagine this, imagine a heart that's more sensitive to the needs of others. Imagine a heart that can more quickly adjust to changing circumstances and not be derailed. Imagine a heart that can even be humble in relationship to you so that you can be easier on yourself than you always are, not by giving yourself a pass, but by having good humor with your own own faults and failures, so that you can adjust in the hands of the one in whose hands you've put your heart. Do you see it? Here's a third quality of springs. This one's great. Springs, at their roots, are hidden. You can see where they're going, but you can't see where they come from. If you try to trace back through the water... To the depths of a spring, you won't be able to dig deep enough because the roots of a spring are buried beyond, searching out way, way deep down. Beyond the depths, concealed no matter how diligently you look, you can't get to the bottom of the spring. Does this sound true? No matter how diligently you look, you can't get to the bottom of a human heart. And that's also something to embrace. Our hearts are mysteries. Isn't that so? not just to others, but to us even, anyone who's gone on a search to plumb the emotional depths of his own life will immediately see the parallel between his heart and the hidden spring. Because hidden not only from others, but also from himself. However, when well tended and in the hands of the one who created our hearts, then, then like springs emerging from the deep in the hands of the creator, That hiddenness no longer has to be a detriment, but can be an occasion for deeper trust. And you can trust Jesus. And now the fourth quality of a spring, which is the most obvious, but also in a sense the most important, is that springs are necessary. And this, I think, is the first reason why the author chooses the spring here as a metaphor for your heart. You cannot live without fresh water. For 40 days you can go without eating. If four days pass and you haven't had water, you're dead. And the truth about your heart and the the, the life that God invites you to with a well-tended heart is that without emotional well-being, first of all, you die spiritually and emotionally, and some of you are there already. But in truth, being cut off from God and your true self, you are in effect dead without the water source. And so it is with your heart when it is not tended well. And not only is it true for you as an individual, but it also happens that the way a spring is necessary, especially in the ancient Near East, teaches us the importance not only of our individual life, but of the emotional life of a community of God's people all together. If you go in search uh, in the ancient world for where people settled, what you will find immediately is that the center of every settlement of people was a spring. Anyone here ever been to Athens? You don't want to admit it too loudly so the people around you become jealous, right? (laughs) Oh, the food in Athens, right? You'll go there and learn that the Acropolis in Greek means the point of the city. It's the place where the ancient people built their defenses and their temples and their gathering space. Because it's the very highest spot, it allows them to defend from enemies, but in in Athens, the Acropolis is actually not built on the highest spot. It's the second highest spot. And the reason for that is that the highest spot had no spring. And the spring is the place where people have to build their lives around because without what it supplies, there is no communal life. And listen now, that is also true of your heart. When your heart is well tended, you will see that people build their lives together with you around the emotional well-being that God has gifted you. And then you will find that you build your life around them, they build your life around you, and when our hearts are open to one another, it's like the best part of the city where we can grow. And listen now, as your pastor, I'm telling you this without any equivocation. This is exactly what God wants for Renaissance Church, to be like a community gathered around fresh water that is emerging, though hidden, that is coming into being in such a way that people are nurtured by it. They're growing. They're finding themselves unfolded before God who is the the, the lover of their souls. And there in that community, they're discovering more and more of who God wanted them to be. And the only way to get there, back to the map, is to learn to put our hearts in Jesus' hands. That's how we're gonna get there. Come with me for a moment back to that well at noon where Jesus tells this woman, that if she knew who she was talking to, she would have asked him for a drink. Let me tell you this, Jesus the Lord is the one who made you and who this morning comes to each and every one of us, wherever we are in life, whatever the state of our hearts are, and what he sees and what he knows when he looks upon each of us is the many ways that we've been wounded and harmed, and the ways that we've mismanaged our emotions in the past, the the messes that we've made of ourselves, he sees all of that, and he comes right to us with his invitation, and his invitation is to give to us the gift of God, which is eternal life for anyone who will open herself, anyone who will open himself to Jesus, and what he asks of us is to simply take our hands off of our own hearts so that they can be placed fully into his hands. And when we do that, then what we will be positioned for, what we'll be ready to begin, is the journey of learning how to feel as men and women who are surrendering ourselves to him so that he can hold us and carry us forward. Do some of you have in your memory in the past, the moment when you first gave your heart to Jesus? I remember I had just finished middle school. I was getting ready to go off to high school. And in those days, my heart was on my Uh, was in my own hands because I was insecure and I was mean to the people around me and I felt ashamed of myself because of it. I remember a man speaking about Jesus' invitation to come and, and to give our lives to him so that we could get What we couldn't get in any other way, way, which, which are the lives that are his. And I remember thinking, if Jesus could love this young guy who's been such a wreck, then he can love anyone. And I remember walking off into the night and praying that he would take my life so that I could have the life that I could have in no other way. I want you to look at these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 16. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. In my own way as a kid, I was trying to find my own life in building myself up by my clever humor to tear others down. And I know right now that every single one of you is looking for life and you should look for it. But listen now, you trust Jesus' word. Go looking for it on your own and you will lose it. But if you come to him and lose it for his sake, we can paraphrase it in this way. Those who want to go on holding on to their own hearts will lose them. But those who will lose their hearts for Jesus' sake, those who will give their hearts to Jesus will find them. And that's the invitation at the beginning of this journey. To take your hands off of your heart and to put your heart into Jesus' hands. Then what? Then what we're going to do is next week we're going to talk together about what it's like to live under fear and we're gonna listen to Jesus help us know how to respond to fear. And then after that, anger, because some of you need to deal with that. And then after that, what it's like when you've retreated because of shame, and what it's like to be swallowed up in envy, what it's like when you've given up on feeling altogether and you've just detached and you've become apathetic, and then what it's like to be swallowed up in grief. Why? So we can grow as followers of Jesus together and can become the men and women that he wants us to be so that Renaissance Church can be, and this is my My real aim, the blessing and gift of God in this world, which is so terribly thirsty. And I want you to be on that journey with me, okay? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the story of this woman at the well and for the love that you showed to her in coming to her in her shame and inviting her to give herself to you. God, I ask that through the power of your spirit and her story, that you would be speaking to our hearts in here as we've gathered, drawing us closer to you with this impossible blessing that you've come with a gift, the gift of eternal life, which we need. God, every heart in here that is still withheld from you, would you break down whatever resistance is in us so that we would give ourselves to you fully? And then would you help us feel the joy that comes with surrendering our lives to you and finding ourselves truly in your hands? We love you and we know this. We need you. We need you every moment. And in this moment, we surrender ourselves to you afresh and we ask that in your hands, we would recognize that the most important thing about every one of us is that we're beloved by you. And then that love would melt away everything that keeps us from you. And we'd be renewed even now in that love. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.